Welcome to this special Italian wine podcast broadcast. This episode is a recording off Clubhouse, the popular drop-in audio chat. This Clubhouse session was taken from the Wine Business Club and Italian Wine Club. Listen in as wine lovers and experts alike engage in some great conversation on a range of topics in wine. And remember to subscribe and rate our show wherever you tune in. Before the show, here's the shout out to our new sponsor, Ferro Wine. Ferro Wine has been the largest wine shop in Italy since 1920. They have generously supplied us with our new t-shirt. Would you like one? Just donate 50 euros and it's all yours. Plus, we'll throw in our new book, Jumbo Shrimp Guide to International Grape Varieties in Italy. For more info, go to italianwinepodcast.com and click donate. Or check out Italian Wine Podcast on Instagram. Joy Livingston standing in for Stevie Kim, who is on a plane right now. She has left us <laughs> in charge. Uh, she might regret that, but um, it's all good. We're good for today. And I have my wine. So does Laika, who's yes, with me definitely. here. Thankfully, she's the clubhouse manager and I'm the producer of the Italian Wine Podcast. So welcome to the Italian Wine Club on Clubhouse. Normally, we do these sessions weekly on Thursday, 8 p.m. CET, but this one is at 9 p.m. because one of our speakers tonight, Jill, is in Australia, and so she's already getting up super early to do this, so we really appreciate it. So this is Ambassador's Corner, uh, where Italian wine ambassadors and wine lovers get the chance to interview their favorite wine producers. These are fireside chat style interviews and we already have a great lineup but it's never too late to nominate your favorite producer so you can always hit up Laika on social media. I'm on Instagram so you can also follow me and reach out to me as well as on WhatsApp. Yeah or you can also just go to www.italianwinepodcast.com. This session will be recorded as always and will likely be released on the Italian Wine Podcast in one of the coming Thursdays. And we do this to reach more listeners, especially for those who can't participate due to the time zone. So I present to you our guest host today, Jill Gordon-Smith. She has nominated Rocco Toscani. So I'll let her actually um, talk about Rocco. But I'm going to just quickly introduce Jill before I hand this over to her. And then, of course, at some point at the end, she will probably allow for questions from the audience and so forth. So she is an IWE and of an Italy International Academy expert and principal CEO at Fall from Grace Wines, the winemaker and boss lady. She does minimal intervention winemaking in the McLaren Vale region in Australia, and she focuses on Italian grape varieties. She makes Montepulciano, Carignan, Nero d'Avola, and Arnais in clay pots, as well as Syrah. And let's see, you do a lot of stuff, Jill. So this is going to be, a, <laughs> she runs a wine and spirit school. She writes, she teaches, she judges. And you were named Woman of Inspiration at the 2020 Australian Women in Wine Awards. So that's really awesome as well. But I'm going to hand it over to you. Let's see here. Like, am I missing anything or? Yes. Um, well, before we start, we wanted to ask, we're actually very curious about um, why you chose Rocco Toscani as your favorite producer. Good morning, everybody, or good evening. Good Lovely evening. to be here. Now, um, why did I choose Rocco? Well, Rocco, I, I really love Rocco's wines. We don't want to give him too big a head, though. Um, he's making really innovative, world-class wines that I think have personality. And they have a, they're a real artistic expression. And for me, winemaking is about art as well as about science. So I love his wines because they've got absolute drinkability. And for me, that's something that's really important. And I think Rocco's wines really do that. So um, he also comes from an amazingly talented family who are really passionate about Italian made. So I think it's, uh, it's wonderful that Rocco's making such beautiful wines from such a beautiful place. So another question, though, why, what are your learning objectives um, that we should expect for this interview? Really, I'd love people to understand the impact that Italian native grapes are having around the world, as 
especially in Australia, because they're so important for addressing climatic issues here. So it's wonderful for me to have the opportunity to talk to other winemakers, like-minded winemakers, that are um, are using native grapes that I can I can use here that really help me with wine winemaking. So thank you so much. Well, okay, so we're gonna give you the floor. Um, so yeah, go ahead. Do your thing, Jill. No worries. Well, hi everyone. I really uh, am so grateful and so thankful to be able to introduce Rocco Toscani to uh, the Via community. Um, he's a really innovative premium producer. He's making such cool wines. He's the winemaker at Azienda Agricola Toscani. So I know as a child he wanted to be a horse breeder and because um, he's always loved animals. But he has quite a well-known family, a well-known father. And so he picked up a camera, which is probably the same as his dad, um, studied, opened a personal studio and went to school to become a photographer and uh, worked around the world doing that. But he was called back home to be a winemaker. And now he's a winemaker in Cas uh, Casale Mar Maritimo. And I know that Rocco considers winemaking to be an art as well. So ciao, Rocco. Ciao, ciao, Joe. Thanks so much for chatting to me tonight. Now, I've visited your beautiful estate and seriously, I could really see and feel the passion that you have for the farm, the vineyards and your product from grape to glass. That was the most important and wonderful thing was watering around those vineyards. So can you tell us about the grapes you've got on the estate and why this particular place is so good for growing them? So I'm uh, in Casale Maritimo. Casale Maritimo is a small town close to Bolgate. So it's a very important area that I am in a way considered one of the producers in unlucky areas because I'm really neighboring Bulgaria. So it's, it's, a, it's kind of a hard task to, um, to follow up. But, um, you know, I, when, when I came into the winery, I, you know, my, my first idea was to really detach myself from What, what was the original image of this area? Uh, so I think it's you know it's a it's a very important area and it's you know wines grow really well and uh, I mean it's it's in a way it's an easy area it's called it like that you know, you know it's uh, it's made for that or at least it shows that it's made for that and uh, so I grow Syrah and Cabernet Franc as my primary grapes and then uh, I have Teroldego uh, and then uh, I grow some Greco. Uh, I put the white grapes because I do co-fermentations with the reds so I, I started this way and I'm still doing it and but uh, now I'm also doing a very very small collection of Greco. Uh, I do a, a pick around 400 bottles of it, but it's very, very interesting. So probably I'm going to grow with that too. And um, so yes, I uh, I love this place. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's so gorgeous. I think you're a coast. We're both coastal winemakers. Where I am in McLaren Vale, it's got a very similar vista. And then when I first stood on your land and looked down towards the Tyrrhenian Sea. I was really struck by firstly how beautiful it was, but also how familiar it felt for me as, as far as the landscape. And um, it, it is, it's just on the edge of Bulgaria. It's a bit like Coonawarra in Australia, which we grow great Cabernet. If you're outside of that region, um, and even if you're just a metre outside of that delineated area, you're not considered to be in the best area, but the wines are amazing. So does this give you a bit of a freedom to be just on the edge? Uh, yes, yes, because uh, yeah. to tell you honestly, I, I, I picked up the, the winery uh, as being a winery that was, I wouldn't say imitating, but at least going in the, in the direction of stylistically of Bolgan. So for me, the first, the first real uh, object was to do my own uh, do my own thing or at least the, 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 you know I, I was I was a photographer and the cool thing about it was that if you don't hate your job in Milano you pick up the camera and you go to Berlino and or New York or Paris and you do your job there maybe it works better here 
I mean, I'm I'm extremely lucky to be here, but you know, the vineyard is where it is. You can't move it around, so <laughs> so it's uh, you you have to sort of find the real potentials of the of the place and sort of work with that and and see what's uh, you know what's what's the result, and then also the fact that you study a market or a, or at least you know we in a way we make fashion. You know, we, we, we decide what's going to be next or in a way. Uh, so it's, it has to be something that has to go outside of a well-designed image that, you know, many follow in this area that is probably not not exactly the, the, the only way to do it. So uh, my, my, my objective was to really give my own interpretation of this of this place and, and you know and the reason why I came here is because you know I I, I, I was born and raised here and I, and I and I think that this place has to in a way go on and, and show that the real potential of it so this was my central project you know to, to really uh, discover in a way what what was really the the, the, the great parts of this piece of land. Yeah, so exciting! It is so exciting because it's both artistic and creative, but also scientific. So, um, you know, I love wines that reflect people, like their personalities and also their place. But if you can make wine anywhere else in the world, I'm going to put you out of your comfort zone here. Where would you do it, and what would you make? Uh, I don't know. I'm a, I'm a big, big lover of Sangiovese, and. Uh, I, I don't know, I, I'm a very, very, very solitary person in a way. And um, so probably I would see myself somewhere in some heroic winemaking side of a mountain somewhere where it's, you know, maybe a place where <laughs> there's a little bit more water than, than here because now it's starting to get really dry or, you know, when you depends on the season, you know. When I talk to my friends in Valtellina in the spring, they say, "Oh, it's still snowing here." I'm like, "Okay, no, this place is cool." You know? So you know, it's uh, every place has its own story. I think. I, I honestly, I, the reason why I came here is so. This is the story. I have to tell you this story. I was I was born and raised here, and I you know I I I I love this place. I mean, I, I could you know. I could do anything for this place. So we went, I went with my father in Bordeaux and the show went terribly bad, but really bad. So I, I sort of started to calculate how much longer he could hold on to a project like that that was just, you know, I don't know, it wasn't really working in a way. And uh, so I, I picked up the, the project of wine because in a way to defend my the land where I, was, where I was born. So, in a way, I had to sort of find the the, the, the right solution to make it, in a way, work. And uh, you know, it's it's you know, you, I'm I'm attached to this to this place. So it's uh, you know, for me, seeing things that go better and better every year, it's you know, it's a, it's an amazing thing. It's a, I don't know, it's a love story in a way. <laughs> It is a love story, absolutely. Yeah. Do you find, so for me, I, I can see how connected you are to the land and for me that's the most important thing is is the vineyard, that we, we sort of each year we're showing an expression of that particular vintage. It's like having a time capsule of that year. That's what I find so exciting and I can see that in your wines having looked at um, quite a few of your wines now because... You know, I only discovered your wines through Via. If I hadn't come to do the Via course, I wouldn't have met Pinta and I wouldn't have met you and some all the other, you know, amazing uh, ambassadors that we've got there. And I was blown away by just how genuine you were and how country you were, even though you're such a, a cool, tall um, sort of person. Like, you, you're very much solitary and, cu and country, quite shy. So it's really good to look at your wines and see that expression. And I want to ask you, what part of the process do you, do you enjoy the most? Are you a vineyard person or a wine a wine person? Do you enjoy the winemaking more or the vineyard? Um, I think the whole 
the whole thing comes from the fruit. So I'm, I'm completely dedicated to the vineyard. I mean, this is like, uh, you know, I'm uh, obsessed in the vineyard. It's, uh, I don't know, I cut all the grass in the vineyard by hand with the, how do you call it, the little thing, with the strings in the end of it. Oh, um, um, with a in Australia. Yeah. Which is Pugliatore in Italian. But anyway, uh, I'm, uh, you know, I'm, uh, I, I, I declare it, I'm uh, obsessive, uh, uh, precise uh, person. I, I don't. I don't accept any mistakes in the vineyard, and I'm the one that is responsible for it. And I and I do basically all the work in it. I have my 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 guys, my my team, and but it's uh, you know it's. It, I think it, the, the most important thing is what you bring home the day of the harvest, and this is this is something that you know. Uh, I see every. I mean, I see it every year that the more effort I put into it, and the less effort I have to put in the in the winery. So exactly. So it's uh, yeah, the vineyard is everything. I mean, it's yeah. It's, uh, you know, there's uh, and then yeah, the the the, the winery is in, in, is important, but at the end, it's just a very 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 small process that compared to what you do to to bring home a perfect bunch. I mean, it's, you know, it's, uh, I honestly, when we do the last day or it's sort of this via crucis that you have to do every year that you get to the end of it and you're like, wow, no, I, I only yeah. made it. And it's, you know, this is the, the part that really I enjoy the most. And, you know, it's, and, and the fact that you see things coming along really slowly and sometimes too fast and you know and, and this is the, the the real part that we we do we have to sort of wait we have to wait and see when it's the right moment to do things and and this is you know they don't really tell you you have to sort of constantly be present in it and and this is what i like you know i, I really like to stay out there and Sometimes it's around. Me too. I see too. <laughs> yeah, I think that's that's the most important thing because you you know you can't make good wine from bad grapes. It's all about the grape. And as winemakers, I sort of think your philosophy is pretty much the same as mine: is you babysit and guide the wines, but it's all about the fruit you bring in. And it's just wonderful to hear you talk about your passion for for the vineyard. What's your What's the job you hate the most in the winery? Um, I hate the cleaning. Well, I'm making it's about ninety percent cleaning. <laughs> yeah, the cleaning. Okay, no. Okay, okay, cleaning. Yes, the cleaning is horrible. But, um, yeah, the cleaning. The cleaning. Yeah. But uh, no, I think it's. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't really. I don't. There's not really a moment that I don't like. Probably yeah. the worst moment is the last day of harvest when it's finished and you say, okay, and now? <laughs> what do I do? <laughs> and now we, now we have to sell it. So this, exactly. So it's, uh, this is the part that is the less romantic. I think it's the, the moment where you have to just, you know, hit the streets and, and sort of sell yourself to whoever is, you know, it's willing to... Um, go your way but it's uh no i i think it's you know uh, it's all it's i don't see a bad part of it it's uh, it's all fun i mean it's it's like bringing your kids along it's it's uh it's, it's like raising kids it's uh, it's amazing it's an amazing job and you have a project and you sort of focus on something the year and there it's an amazing feeling and then if you don't get there because sometimes it happens because you still work on the sky you know you don't have a roof over the vineyard so you don't really have the control over it and and you and then you start really thinking of what am i going to do next year to really avoid this mistake or and you know it's uh, and you restart and you you sort of and wait and wait and, and hope so it's you know it's it's fun so 
Yeah. It is. It's a fun, it's a fun job, but I, I hear what you're saying here. There is so much, especially when you to be a good winemaker or even viticulturist, you have to be a bit of a control freak. Um, and it's very hard, isn't it, to sort of at the end of the, the harvest to let it all go and think, well, I've made the best wine I can make out of those grapes and now I've got to go and sell my soul in the trade. It's really hard, people in the trade, because you're actually exposing your heart and your passion and you just hope that somebody loves it. Um, do your family get involved in the harvest? I know you've got two beautiful kids and a gorgeous wife. Hey, ciao, better dead that. Uh, yeah, yeah, they do. They, you know, they come, they come along. They, they. I don't, I don't force them to do it, but uh, you know, if they, if they want to participate, they do. Um, honestly, I, I feel better when it, when they don't come. But <laughs> I, uh, but just because it's, you know, I. I want them to to have to have fun while doing it because it has to be fun. But at the same time, I then I will lose that control freak situation that <laughs> just blows me off, and I don't really, uh, I don't concentrate. But uh, no, it's you know, it's uh, I think the harvest is is that feeling that I wanted to bring back, uh, which I lived when I was a kid. We had a small vineyard by the house and. Um, in September was always this like moment where you sort of yeah you go in the vineyard you pick some grapes but then you have the big dinner you have you know everybody's happy about what happened and you know it's it's sort of a it's a big celebration in a way so I I, I, you know, I want to keep this thing going on and it, you know I we have a big dinner on the last day and you know it's it's a uh, in a way, it is a family thing. I mean, my, 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 the guys that work with me are sort of a part of my family. You know, I see them every day, and I, we, we, we pass into bad moments too, in a way, because it's, it's really hard and it's, it's physically hard to do it uh, all the way. Because yeah, for sure. In the Your winter, vintage parties, yeah. definitely cold in the winter. You know, it's cold when you when you prune and it's you know it's, it, it gets too hot when you have to sort of select the grapes and you know, it's there's not really a, a comfortable moment in the vineyard. It's always and if it's comfortable in the weather, you have to like you're kneeling down and in front of these you know creatures that produce whatever we do and you know it's it's, it's you know but it's uh, it's great. Yeah. It is. It's honest work, Rocco. Even and the glamour goes out pretty quickly. Um, yeah, very quickly. Hey, your labels are amazing. So I know that you're a designer as well. They're really impactful. They're fun. They fit in beautifully with your wines, but they're not the traditional style of Italian wine labels. You know, I, I grew up in this, and uh, I I think that you know the labels are. Many times I go into wineries and I buy I buy labels. Honestly, I buy, I buy labels because it's uh, it's part of the process. So it's it's you know it has to sort of give you a hint of whatever. If you know it, it's better. If you don't know it, maybe you can imagine. You know, it's it's the same it's the same thing as uh, I think as a picture. Uh, you know, you you cut out whatever you don't want the, the viewer to see, and this is what I'm going to show. So the, the label is a little bit. A very personal thing that you have. You know, every wine has its own story. The you know, I, every bottle of wine have, has a has a personal link to me, and and I think it's it's uh, it's even more important that when you know I hand you my bottles, I stare at you in the eyes, and I, I'm giving you part of my family. So it's it's you know the labels are I think something that you know reflects my. In a way, my, my my point of view of what has to you know be shown or how how I view uh, the sort of the communication that I have to do on the bottle to to you know even to attract attention. I mean, I don't I don't yeah. I don't uh, I don't say no to that, but it's also in a way my own personal thing or tie that you know I I, I see every time I see the bottle and I, and I have the story tied to it and. You know, it, it makes it even more personal to me. Do you still get excited when you see your label um, and or one of your bottles on a shelf in a retail store or oh, a yeah. restaurant table? Yeah, it's yeah. pretty 
Yeah, it's so exciting. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Then sometimes I see it maybe on the table of somebody that they're not well dressed, or then then it kind of bothers me. But you know, <laughs> but it's uh, no, it's it's you know, it's an amazing feeling. It's uh, it, it's your work. It's like uh, it's like when you go in at somebody's house and they have your picture hanging on the wall, and you say, "Wow, you know, it's uh, it's it's an honor in a way." Yeah, it is. A, it feels pretty strange. It's it is an honor. Hey, um, can I ask you, um, what grape do you think best represents your brand? Is there a grape, or is there a grape you'd like to plant at the estate that you feel would grow really well there? I I'm working on the Syrah, uh, which is you know uh, it works very well. We have uh, we have very loose grounds, very iron rich grounds. In a way, I'm on the same hills as Bulgari, and these hills in front of the sea in Toscana are called the metallic hills. Uh, I don't know if you know, there's a town in Isola d'Elba which is called Porto Ferraio, where it was like a huge mining place for iron. So, Syrah and Cabernet Franc are the, the main grapes that I grow, and I think they have a fantastic ex expression here. I honestly, I wouldn't change for anything. Probably, uh, no, I don't know. If I was in a, maybe in a different area with different temperatures, maybe Sangiovese would. Or maybe at my height, at the vineyard, uh, could could work. Um, but you know, it's. Uh, so you're happy like, with, I, the, I with the grapes I'm that are growing. I'm super happy, super happy. Yeah, and, you know, uh, you know, it's it's. Uh, as I said before, I mean, sometimes you have to sort of. Yeah, I would like to replant the vineyard in another way, or no, maybe not, but. This is the way it is, and I'm going to make it work this way. You know, it's it's something that I I, I have somebody sort of handed me this beautiful thing, and I am going to pass it to somebody else. And whoever decided to put this, and I, you know, I I I agree with it. I mean, I'm changing little parts, and you know, I'm grafting, for example, the terolibo slowly with the greco, and but. Um, no, I think I'm going to continue with uh, Cabernet Franc. I think this is the real grape in this area. Uh, yeah. It's, uh, it has an, an amazing expression. And all the producers that make Cabernet Franc, um, 100%, uh, you know, I think make very, very, very interesting wines uh, here. And, you know. I think what would be wonderful to do is, as I said, McLaren Bar, where we live, looks really similar to... Um, your area and it'd be really cool for us to make a Syrah over here and then for you to come over and make a Syrah here with me and then I'll come over and make a Syrah there with you. Sure. Really so we hang, out, so we we hang out and do a collab. Um, <laughs> hey, yeah. what, do you, what do you like to drink when you're relaxing? Are there any other, pro and are there any other producers in your region that you admire? Uh, I'm a big fan of the Sangiovese in the... Uh, Chianti, Classico, and Montalcino, but uh, yeah. I would, uh, I think Montevertine could win for me. Okay. Like uh, Chiusa. No, I mean, I, I, no, I, 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 honestly, I drink very different things all the time. I, I, I almost force myself to discover new things all the time because uh, we sort of have to be, we have to, you know, you have to understand what's what's going on in places that maybe they're more fortunate in a way. They're in very, very good places to produce wine, but then at the same time, you drink wines from producers that are not in lucky areas that can bring out, you know, expressions of wines that maybe you would never ever think, you know, and you stay in the classic areas and then and then you don't discover new things. But I really, you know, try to, uh, to you know, taste everything I can so that, you know, sort of enlarge my, my knowledge or, you know, things that I, you know, select things that I can start to analyze to, in a way, imitate also. I, I'm not saying I invented anything it's just you know just, i'm trying i try to go the closest as i can to something that i really like 
Yeah, so taking some inspiration, just like you would in art, from from other other winemakers, for sure. Now I know you love breeding pigeons, and it was really beautiful that we stayed at your estate, and in the morning you have this amazing pigeon coop. I had no idea that pigeons cost so much money, but how did this fascination start, and what do you love most about your birds? Uh, so this thing started uh, when I was living in Paris. And um, I was working in Paris, and I would go on Sundays at this market, the same bird market, and I would sort of buy these birds that I would breed and then, you know, go back to the market. And then one day I, I loved to eat pigeon, pigeon because they, in, in this area, we eat a lot of pigeon. So I, when, I, when I decided to come back, I, I, I wanted to sort of have my own pigeon coop with the pigeons that I would eat. But then I started looking on, you know, I was looking for the tastiest breed, you know. And then I kept falling into these pi- homing pigeon auctions. And I was like, why? Why people spend so much money on these, you know? And so I started reading and reading. And then I sort of figured out that a homing pigeon is exactly as a racehorse. There is the, the, the seeding part, there's the breeding part, there's the racing part. And then, the, yeah, for me, it's it's an amazing feeling when you see them come back from a huge race. They can race around 1,000 kilometers in one day coming home. And, uh, you know, when you see them coming home, you, you sort of, you're amazed the fact that an animal that is released, it's such a distance just, you know, comes home. And for me, they come home for me, they, they come home for their own you know, uh, wife or husband, or, and they, you know, and, but they're attached to the, to the house. And this is the reason why in one of my labels I put a pigeon, is because ah, my, my whole life I, you know, I traveled a lot. I, I, I went from many places, but every time I had a minute, I would jump on a plane or a train and I would go home. So, you know, this, this is a sort of something that ties me to this place. I mean, the first time I, I, I tried to, you know, release them someplace and I saw them coming home, I was like, wow, this is, this is like, it just blew me off. And, you know, and from there I started and, you know, I, I race every year and I, I'm very competitive. I, no. Obsessive, uh, as you say, uh, I, you know, I like to be, you know, I like to do things well. This is, you know, I like to do it. And uh, so I, I started racing pigeons, and it's it's a lot of fun. It's a, it's a it's a very nice it's a it's a very incredible animal in a way. You know, they they're attached to the house, and they they fly for hours and hours to come back home. And once they're home, you sort of you prize them with all the effort that you can. So this is you know. It's it's very in a way it's very similar to making wine. I mean, it, it doesn't really change. It, it's, you know, you put that extra effort, and things just come out the way you sort of thought of them. Not always, but most of the times. Yeah, it's. I mean, even it's it's wonderful because my grandfather used to breed pigeons in in London. We had massive amounts of pigeons, and when I was flying. I spoke to a pilot once who I said, please don't talk about flying tonight and what do you like to do? And he said, I breed pigeons. And he said, they're the most aerodynamic bird in the world. Yeah. <laughs> so you can't get they're, away from that. They're a piece of design. I mean, these things They are, are a piece of design. They fly, they fly on races that are around 400, 500 kilometers. They fly it at 80, on an average of 80 kilometers an hour. This thing's just... They're amazing. When they, they come are. home, it's just, you know, when I talk about it, it gives me shivers. So, so these are, that's obviously one of the things that makes you really happy. So yeah. what other things make you really happy? Um, to go to, the, to my pigeon in the, in the afternoon, in the, in, in the evening when I finish my work, I go to the pigeon house and I, I make them fly and I, and I sit there and look at the, the water and I, I look at them fly and I sort of, it's the moment where I sort of detach from everything and it's, you know, you think of how you could do better things tomorrow or in the next month or the next year and, you know, it's, it's that moment where you sort of have that cool down uh, 
maybe you know, a nice glass of wine or but it's uh yeah that, that moment is my moment that's really important to have that it's like a mindfulness a meditation yeah, yeah. so where would you like to see your brand in the future Rocco uh not because of any stories that I could tell or any marketing uh, options that I could use. It's just the fact that you take home a piece of me or a piece of my my house or my my work or my idea. So it's it's in a way I you know I I, I love it when people that have sort of a a different head or they, they, they work or they you know they they have curiosity to sort of jump into something that you you know uh, an intimate thing uh, so I think you know uh, my my idea or my my real dream is that you know my wines are appreciated because this is the way I make it and not because anything else so it's you know it's that's the really difficult part that you you sort of i'm not really a, a big uh, social media or whatever i don't really do that but i uh, you know i think the results come from hard work so when when you see the bottles in, in places that i like this is the i think the most amazing feeling is when you go to you know new york in a fantastic wine winery and you find your wine you're like wow you know, <laughs> i may have to very quietly take a photo of the winers yeah no but without having nobody seeing you and and you don't trust right. it because it's just like it's something that you feel like an idiot yeah <laughs> and then like when you lay the bed you're like wow look at that you know i'm sitting by these amazing producers and you know I, I would have maybe never have thought to be in this spot. So, you know, it's, uh, but I think it's, it, it comes really, 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 really slowly. And, uh, I think who is going to really enjoy, uh, the effort that we put into it is the ones that come after us, uh, in a way that you build this sort of this piece of, you know, the piece of, of your life and you sort of every year you try to make it better and you try to you know and you can't really go and tell people i made it better because it just sounds really stupid you have to you know <laughs> keep quiet and you know uh, maybe you know that the year that you're selling that year is not really the best one you made and you sort of have to you know you can't really say at home i have fantastic wines sitting in the in the in the winery but but at the same time you 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 think of the year that you made that wine and you sort of, you put all yourself in. So it, this is the, the really, really cool part is when you when you see your wine somewhere that you like. That's, that's amazing. So I can open the floor to some questions. I'm sure there's a lot of our ambassadors. I see Melissa there and Corinne and Hugh, Hayley, Xiaoying, um, Fanny. If, has anyone got some questions for Rocco? Ciao, Melissa. Ciao, Rocco, Jill, Malika. Hi, hi. Hi, Rocco. So I've tasted your wines a number of times and have been very lucky to visit um, your estates um, with Jill and Corinne and Pinta from back in the day. And so much has changed. You've really evolved, and it's just it's it's been a pleasure to to watch you get more focused and tighter in your wines and your mission and what you want to do. So I have a two-part question. Um, one is about your white wine, your Greco, because I remember tasting that back in 2019, and um, I think you were still trying to figure things out with that. Um, 
And so I want to ask you what the genetic material is for the Greco. Um, you know, if it's Greco Campania or if it's um, Greco Bianco, like that you would find in like Calabria or Puglia. And the second part question is just um, you make predominantly red wines, uh, uh, and I completely understand um, the um, move around Bulgari and, and in your area and Casale uh, Maritimo to move more towards uh, Cabernet Franc, which I think is absolutely great. Um, during your expression of Syrah, I remember when we were sitting with um, Stefano Amerighi from Cortona and that's in Italy and um, both with Stefano and you, you guys have the best expressions of, of Syrah. Um, in all of Italy, as obviously in Tuscany. So, um, if you could speak to the genetic material of your Greco and then what you like to eat with your red wines, if you could expand on that, I'd love that. Thank you. Thanks, Melissa. Um, so, the Greco is Greco Bianco. Uh, I took the, I grafted the with the Greco that they do in uh, Sasso Tondo. Uh, I took that uh, uh, family there and uh, I changed a lot on that wine um, since the one you drank. It's, um, I did on the first year, the one that you drank was uh, I macerated the grapes for around 20 days, uh, which I sort of took that out and I, I macerate, I cold macerate for two days before fermentation and then I take the skins out, uh, which I think gives a much better expression of this, right? It's more personal in a way. Uh, I thought that the over macerated uh, was a little bit too general in a way. You know, you could make this anywhere. So I sort of I was looking for something that was a little bit of an expression that, you know, could talk a little bit more about this area. So it's, you know, now it's, um, I think it's much more salty and it's much more elegant. Um, so I think it's working well. And um, the other question was, uh, what would I eat? I, you know, I, I, <laughs> I can eat anything. But, um, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, honestly, I, I um, red meat or chicken. Chicken with the, I do a fantastic chicken in the oven, wood oven that I built in um, here by my house. But it's uh, I don't know. It's I don't know. It's 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 very difficult to answer a question. What what do you like to eat or what would you uh, pair it with? Because it's um, I think. Drinking a bottle of wine, it's it's a, it's a moment of sharing. So I think it's more about who do you drink it with, uh, rather than what would you eat with it. Uh, so I think it's you know it's a moment of exchange. You know you you sort of analyze and you and you taste and you talk about it and you sort of feel the nuances of whatever you are drinking. So I think it's you know it's also nice. Uh, the fact that you can, you know, talk about the wine and then, yeah, you eat it. Yeah, I would go with something with meat. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Rocco. Thank you. Thank, thank you. Thanks, Melissa. Melissa. Great question. Hey, Haley, how are Ciao, you? Ciao, Haley. Ciao. I hope you can hear me okay. I'm driving right now. We oh can hear you. Lord. What's your question? Oh, it's so good to talk to you all and listen to you share about the winery. It's been, I haven't been there since 2016, so it's its great to see again everything that you're doing. And um, But I have a question um, just about the sparkling wine that you uh, started doing a couple years ago. And maybe you guys talked about this already, but if you didn't, if you could just kind of share a little bit about that with the group. So I, um, thanks Haley. I make a sparkling Syrah Rosé. Um, I, on the, on the first year I came in the winery, I, we did a selection of like green harvest. And you know, when you go 
to a new place and you sort of start thinking of how you can make things work better or you know uh, I was looking at all the grapes on the ground I was like hmm this is too much waste and so uh, we decided to make a wine with all the grapes that I uh, harvest that I sort of make a late green harvest so right after color change I, I select the grapes of the Syrah so I leave the very good bunches and I take off all the, so the clusters or the bad position grapes and I, and I so very high in acidity and very little color still sort of half of the bunches in a way green uh, and I press I press the grapes and I start fermentation in stainless steel and then I bottle the wine uh, while it's still fermenting. Um, so it's a and the, when I did it in 2016 was something that was completely sort of not cool to do in this area. So I, I remember I used to go to places and uh, the, the the owners of restaurants would ask me if I brought a beer or something like that. So it was at the beginning it was kind of hard to have people understand that in this area we could do something that it detaches a little bit from what was the classic winemaking. So uh, it's been a fantastic experience for me, and it's it has been something that it helped me a lot to analyze also the other wines in a way that you realize that you can do things that are completely different and you actually like them. I don't say that the other people like, I like it. So it's, uh, it's, it's fun to make something that goes, you know, a little bit outside of the normal voices uh, of your area. So it's, you know, it's a project that continue. I, I changed the bottle now, it's going to be in a clear bottle. So you see that it's with Colfondo and, um, so no, it's you know it's something that I you know it's instead of doing a white wine uh, at the beginning I, I did that and it was my my way of saying that I don't want to uh, rent a vineyard of Vermentino because I need a white wine because in this area they sell more white wine than red wines but it was more of a fact that you know things can be changed in this area so that was my my thought of it. Fantastic. Hey, great question, Hey, Look, we've got time for one more question. Corinne, how are you? Good to see you, mate. Good to see you. And ciao. You, ciao. Ciao, ciao. Ciao, ciao. You know, Rocco, I was just wondering, you, you talked about, um, you know, I guess how important, obviously, everything is um, in the vineyard and maybe some of the changes that are ha happening. So, you, you know, climate change, of course, we we talked about maybe it's getting drier there. Are there some things you've had to do or processes you've had to change in the vineyard to adapt to some of these, um, you know, new conditions and climate change? Um, yeah, I, so I opened my winery on Saturday mornings and I have the old, the old timers of the town come and buy the wine bulk wine and uh, so this is for me it's one of the best moments where they sort of analyze your wines and they give you comments and this is something that I want to keep I, I, I you know I, I, I like to look forward in a project but I also like to you know the traditional part is very important so uh, in this area is very very well appreciated wines that are dark or they have this like powerful look to them, and uh, and I like this part. I like you know wines that have sort of this big shoulders, but at the same time I I, I enjoy acidity uh, in wines. So I wanted to keep the the fact of you know over the overripeness of the grapes and you know if I can continue to keep them on the plant I, I like to you know I like to continue and, and keep them there and so to avoid over over structure in a way I I plant the Greco I put, I, I grafted the Greco 
to work on the acidity. So I, I control my acidities by using white grapes. So, it, which is a grape that, you know, can hold very long maturations. They, it can wait the, the, the red wine. On the Syrah, I use the Greco to, con, you know, to, to higher my acidities. And it's something that I, I haven't invented anything. It's just, you know, they do it in the, in the Rhone Valley. They use Viognier, but, you know, it's something that, you know, it helps me a lot to have wines that have this sort of power but at the same time when you when you sip on them they sort of give you a little bit of a you know shake and acidity so it's it's something that i'm very happy of the fact that i put the greco because it's it's really helpful you have greco and petit manseng which which i use uh, to do this process and uh, you know it's i think it's you know we have solutions in this place it, it gets really dry uh, between June and mid-August and then it starts raining again just right before harvest so yes it's dry but it's you know it's an okay dry I mean it's, it's yeah it's getting hotter but you know this is for everybody it's, it's you know you have to like I said before you I can't move my vineyard to Berlin or London uh, I have to stay here and you know it's this is something that you know you have to sort of find solutions and this was a solution that I you know I think it had a very good result. Good question and brings us back to one of our learning outcomes is why we use Italian grapes over here and again it's for that acidity. I love the fact that you're an acid king. I call myself the acid queen. Rocco, thank you so much for you know, having you, a chat with us today. It's been fantastic. And I just want to thank everybody for turning up. I know it's sort of getting around dinner time for you guys in Italy because I know you eat so late. Uh, so I'm going to pass yeah. back. See each other soon for a big vintage party at Rocco's. Yeah, Second yeah, half of October, we're going to be there. Yeah, it sounds good. Thank you so much, Jill and Rocco. Honestly, it was amazing listening to you guys. We sat here with our wine and we literally just zoned out listening to you guys. It was amazing. And let's see, next Thursday, it will be Stevie again. And um, back, yeah, finally. exactly. We're, we're actually, we, we, we really miss Stevie. We had Mr. some technical right issues and she tends to just know what to do. So anyway, so next week, Stevie, um, and it's going to be Ciro Pirone, who is interviewing... Ciro Pirone, yes. sorry, um, <laughs> interviewing Roberto Di Meo. Um, so yeah, with that said, I am going to uh, close this out. I appreciate everybody who listened in as well as everyone who asked questions. And Jill, you're awesome. Thank you, Rocco. And we will talk to you next week. Thank you so much, guys. Bye. Ciao. 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 Bye. Ciao. 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 Listen to the Italian Wine Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We're on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Himalaya FM, and more. Don't forget to subscribe and rate the show. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps cover equipment, production, and publication costs. Until next time. Chin-chin.